You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. We had the witch hunt. It started from the day we came down the elevator. That was the way former President Donald Trump usually described the FBI's investigation of his campaign's ties to Russia. And former Attorney General Bill Barr seemed to concur in that assessment. I I think there was spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. So Barr directed U.S. Attorney John Durham to investigate the FBI's investigation. Now, nearly three and a half years and more than $5.8 million later, Durham's investigation has come up empty. He lost the only two cases that went to trial. The second acquittal came on Tuesday when a jury found Igor Danchenko, a Russian analyst, not guilty of lying to the FBI about where he got his information for the infamous Steele dossier. Joining me is Eric Larson, Bloomberg legal reporter. Eric, tell us about Danchenko. Igor Danchenko is a 44-year-old Russian business analyst based in the U.S. He was hired by the former British spy, Christopher Steele. I think a lot of people remember the Steele dossier. That was really at the center of this trial because Igor Denchenko was the main source for providing details, including some very salacious and explosive details that made their way into the Steele dossier, which then made its way eventually to the FBI. So Denchenko's role was really doing research privately for what essentially was opposition research. Eric, did he also become uh, an informant for the FBI? He did. You know, that's something that uh, was discussed at the trial. Some of the agents who testified uh, pointed out that he was actually considered to be a very valuable source for the FBI, um, that he provided helpful information on a lot of different investigations. He was sort of outed by uh, the Trump administration, and that's when his ties were cut. But then, of course, um, under John Durham, the Justice Department then focused on him as you know, someone who ended up being charged. So he's had a, a, an interesting relationship with the FBI, to say the least. So this trial is about him lying to the FBI. Was it about him lying about, you know, the details in the Steele dossier? No, it's actually about whether or not he lied about his own sources. So Mr. Danchenko was the main source for the Steele dossier, and then Danchenko had his own sub-sources. And when the FBI started digging into its own investigation under John Durham, they eventually, you know, found out who he was, that he was a source for the the dossier. And they had him in 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 2017 for a series of voluntary interviews with the FBI. 
and they asked him about his sources. They alleged that he lied about his sources on, on five occasions related to two of his sub-sources. But, of course, the jury ended up not buying that, and it was a, a little bit of a convoluted case because, as you mentioned, all these details that were in the dossier were floating around the trial, but they were never really the basis for the charges. Many of the elements of the dossier were never proven. So Mr. Danchenko, for example, provided the pretty explosive claim in the dossier that there was a well-developed conspiracy between Trump's campaign and the Kremlin. He also supplied the sort of salacious detail about uh, Trump's alleged sexual uh, behavior at a Moscow Ritz-Carlton in 2013. Uh, none of those were ever proven, but the, especially the claim about there being a conspiracy between the campaign and the Kremlin, of course, uh, you know, raised the alarm at the FBI and was used early on to get a warrant to surveil Carter Page, who was part of Trump's campaign, to listen to his phone calls and check his emails without him being aware under a law normally used to surveil foreigners. So that ended up not ever being proven, and yet it clearly had an, some impact in the FBI. But that tip was never part of the charge. It was whether or not he lied about where he got that information. The Justice Department said he did, and the jury did not agree. There were five counts, and the judge dismissed one before the jury got the case? That's correct. Uh, before the, the trial was um, over, before the closing arguments, when the jury was not present, the judge said one of the claims was uh, just too weak. They hadn't presented enough evidence to even justify letting the jury decide on it. And that was specifically a claim about whether or not Danchenko had lied to the FBI when he said he had not talked about any of the dossier findings with a particular um, Democratic operative named Charles Dolan, who had worked on Clinton's campaign and lots of previous campaigns. In fact, <laughs> Danchenko had exchanged emails and things like that with Dolan, but hadn't specifically talked to him. And the judge said the FBI asked him if he had talked to with him. He said no. The meaning of talk is specific. It doesn't make sense to uh, charge him with this. So the counts the jury considered were all about whether Danchenko lied about one person and one call? That's correct. It was all about whether or not Mr. Danchenko truly believed that an anonymous phone call that he got in 2016 from a tipster, the one who had the tip about the well-developed conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin, whether or not he truly believed that that caller was a guy named Sergey Milian, who was the president of the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce at the time. So he said in his FBI interview that he believed that's who the person was who had called. And the FBI said not only do they believe that it wasn't him who called, but that the call never happened. But they didn't really present enough evidence to prove that. I don't know how you bring a federal case over what someone believed at the time. It seems awfully thin or stretching it. It did seem, you know, a bit thin. I have to say the evidence that was presented, it wasn't very hard evidence. It could go sort of either way about whether or not he believed it. I mean, as we know, back in May, the first case from his investigation to go to trial against former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman also ended in acquittal. And he was also charged with lying to the FBI about a Trump-Russia tip. So to bring these narrow cases about telling what amount to fairly small lies, I guess you could say, <laughs> alleged lies, that that's really what this is focusing on after all of this time and money spent is 
It's not a terribly good look for the special counsel, but you know, you could also argue that he is doing the job that he was asked to do. The trial seems a little unusual. Durham personally took part, and did he end up lashing out at some of his own witnesses? You know, he did question them a bit harshly. Some of the main witnesses were FBI agents who interviewed Danchenko in 2017. And I think in particular when one said that Danchenko had actually been a valuable confidential human source, you know, he got a little, I think, snippy in the questioning. And then, of course, in his closing argument, told the jury not to feel bad for the FBI. Because on the one hand, the FBI was portrayed in the case as being victimized by Danchenko. But also, he wanted to portray the FBI as being sloppy and making mistakes and essentially going after Trump's campaign unfairly. You know, prosecutors don't usually lose cases. It's unusual because if they're bringing a case, they think they have enough evidence to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, there's, of course, speculation that these trials were really about putting these FBI agents on the stand. Whether or not that's a you know, proper use of a federal criminal trial, who knows? But that's what certainly a lot of Durham's own supporters and Trump supporters have been saying is, oh, these verdicts, you know, they're beside the point. It doesn't matter. It was exposing these FBI agents, getting details of the investigation out in the open. But, yeah, you're right. Usually the government, you know, comes in the cases like this with an upper hand. And usually they also come at it with a lot more evidence. So, you know, we'll see what his final report says. I'm assuming it'll be pretty damning, mostly about the FBI. But, you know, I'm sure that there was some amount of pressure for him to bring some cases. And Danchenko not only didn't take the stand, but didn't present a case? That's correct, which isn't terribly uh, uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think that they, they felt that the prosecution was probably a little thin and figured they would just let it go on that. The defense attorney said during closings, I submit to you that if this trial has proven anything, it's that the special counsel's investigation was focused on proving crimes at any cost, as opposed to investigating whether any occurred. I mean, that was a a focus of the defense, that this is just all about the special counsel trying to prove his case. Right. They said all along, and even before the trial, that they believed that this was a case of incredible government overreach. Um, and that, uh, you know, certainly uh, I don't think they would get too uh, personal in, in, in the closing arguments, but it's certainly been said by Durham's critics, you know, that this case, uh, these cases, this whole investigation is sort of a remnant of, you know, the Trump administration's uh, sort of witch hunt attack on the investigation into him and Russia. And that, you know, they really said that John Durham is going to, you know, bring expose the deep state, reveal this huge conspiracy People, you know, uh, at high levels are going to go down and things like that. And clearly that hasn't borne out. Out of all this three and a half years, he's gotten one conviction, a guilty plea? There was one guilty plea. Someone, a former FBI lawyer, uh, uh, Kleinsmith, who uh, admitted he had altered an email that was used in part of the Carter Page um, warrant application process. You know, he was sentenced to uh, probation. Again, that was a fairly narrow case, and it was actually that particular wrongdoing was uncovered by the Justice Department's own internal watchdog rather than through Durham's own investigation. So it wasn't something that he even actually uncovered. So the next thing I suppose we'll hear from Durham is his report on his investigation. Thanks so much, Eric. That's Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Former President Trump's legal battles range from his possession of top-secret documents to the price tags on his apartments and homes. Joining me to look at the range of criminal investigations and lawsuits is Kenneth Gross, Senior Political Law Counsel at Aiken Gump. I want to start with the subpoena from the January 6th committee. So they must have known that he's not going to comply. Litigation would take longer than they have with the midterms coming up. And even if he did, he'd take the fifth, as he did more than 400 times in the New York AG's case. So is this subpoena just for show? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, actually talking to Jamie Raskin on Saturday night, and that committee is, you know, they're saying repeatedly that he must comply. He has no reason to not comply. And legally, it's true. He is required to comply with the subpoena. But the reality of the situation is, is that I think it has more symbolic implication than it does legal implication, because if I were his lawyer, you know, hell would freeze over before I allowed mm-hmm. him to testify <laughs> under oath. So I just think that the, the reality of the situation and, of course, the chance of the House going Republican in January, you know, is where he'd count on that to get him through the process and to get Don McGahn to testify. A White House counsel took about two years. So uh, getting Trump to testify with the legal arguments that he would have of separation of powers, uh, it could easily be delayed. And I just don't see him doing it. And let's turn to Mar-a-Lago. In this litigation that's gone all the way to the Supreme Court, we still don't have an answer as to why the documents were there in the first place. That's right. So it gets curiouser and curiouser, if that's a word, because, uh, you know, we keep finding out information about the documents being moved. For all we know, there may be some documents at Bedminster. It could be some of the Trump Tower. And the the why? <laughs> has been the unanswered questions. You know, what was he up to? You know, you could sort of understand it if it was a love letter from Kim Jong-un. But, you know, this is this goes well beyond, you know, something you'd want to put in a frame and stick up on your wall as a memorable experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. We don't really even know the details of it, but we know it's top secret. And there have been some reports being very sensitive documents. What's he up to? I don't know. I mean, you know, you could speculate that he was going to sell it or whatever, give it or whatever, but we just don't know the answer to the why. We don't have to answer that question to be able to prosecute it uh, criminally. You don't need to know why. You just need to be able to demonstrate that he knew he had these documents and he didn't turn them over and perhaps even obstructed uh, the investigation by saying he turned them over when he had them. Obviously, he has these documents that he shouldn't have under the Presidential Records Act. Why all the litigation? Why the litigation of the Supreme Court and now the, you know, the 11th Circuit? Why all the litigation instead of just turning them over? 
well, you know, that seems to be his way. You know, he's got people uh, whispering in his ear crazy stuff that, you know, these are your documents, not the government documents. And he's just, he fights it every turn. That has been his modus operandi. Met the man in the the late 80s. Uh, You know, he's litigated everything down the line and he's doing it again. And I think probably in the back of his mind, or maybe not in the back of his mind, but in his mind that he could ultimately count on the Supreme Court to back him up since he put three justices on there, but they're not jumping into this fray. So, you know, he'll just pull out all the stops and see what happens at the end of the process. The Justice Department is appealing the appointment of the special master to the 11th Circuit. Are they doing this because they don't want the special master in this case or because they're afraid of the precedent that having a special master sets? Both. Uh, but I, I think the precedent is the more concerning part because they'll work their way through this and they probably weren't going to do anything before the November election anyhow. And the special master was not wasting a lot of time. So they were happy about that. But it's the precedent of this, the idea that you would get a special master to sort of gum up the work from their standpoint, it, especially the original order before the 11th Circuit reversed it was to hold up the criminal investigation, which didn't make any sense at all. Uh, So for sure, they don't want that precedent. And that, I think, is an overriding reason for them to appeal this. And it seems like it's maybe the most clear cut of all the cases possible against former President Trump. But does it seem likely that a Justice Department would bring a case like this against a former president when people will be saying, it's just about documents? You know, why make a federal case out of these documents? Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. And, you know, you can sort of trivialize it in that fashion. And I'm sure that he will and his supporters will. And when you talk about an insurrection on January 6th, you know, that's the big kahuna in terms of something that was challenging democracy while we were trying to approve a new president. And you say, well, that's the real heavyweight. Uh, Why are we screwing around with the document, which is more of the tale? However, it is clear cut. I mean, you have documents you're not supposed to have. And it's one thing if you, oops, uh, I didn't mean they were, you know, part of papers. I didn't know I had them here. Here you can have them back. But this thing has dragged on now for months. And there's been misrepresentation about the documents, evidence of moving documents. These are secure documents. And he's a private citizen. He's not above the law. And uh, I think just because it may not be as serious as the charges in January 6th and may not resonate in the same way, um, I, I do believe the Department of Justice is moving towards an indictment. Moving along to the New York Attorney General's lawsuit, which hits at his company, the AG's office told a court that on the same day that Trump was hit with that $250 million civil fraud suit by the state of New York, Trump's real estate company registered a new entity based in Delaware, Trump Organization 2 LLC. And the attorney general says that could potentially be used to shield his assets. And she's asking the court to issue a preliminary injunction barring the defendants from moving any significant assets during the litigation. Trump's lawyer said an injunction is not necessary because Trump's company has promised not to engage in improper conduct. Do you think the judge will issue an injunction? 
You know, I haven't uh, read too much about uh, that in terms of, uh, you know, creating another uh, uh, Trump incorporation. Uh, but the Trump organization and, uh, you know, Donald Trump's involvement with it wants to get as far away from Attorney General James as possible. Uh, and, uh, you know, getting a, getting a, a, an incorporated entity outside of New York uh, fits into that because, you know, he's getting clobbered in New York with an AG that is absolutely dead setting, uh, you know, to, uh, ready to bring uh, civil actions against the corporation and uh, those connected to it. Do you think she has a, a good case? Well, I did read the, the paperwork and she put together uh, a very compelling case on the issue of valuation uh, taxes, bank loans, uh, and the other, uh, you know, reasons for valuing property that uh, were valued, uh, you know, vastly differently depending on the situation. I mean, she put together a, I thought, a very strong case. As this has been going on and on since since the election, one suit that people point to as being the most, quote, dangerous for Trump criminally is the Georgia investigation into interference in the election, which seems to be moving along. And the Fulton County prosecutor, Fannie Willis, has said she'll take the investigation wherever it leads. Be willing to go as far as she can. Do you think that's the most dangerous to Trump? No, I don't. I mean, I think in terms of the ultimate uh, penalties. I, I think she's sort of out in front, or it looked like she was out in front, although, you know, she's bringing so many people before that special grand jury. No one wants to bring a case against Donald Trump unless they feel they've got it covered six ways till Sunday. Uh, and I think that's what's going on there. But, you know, I wouldn't consider that the most dangerous prosecution. I mean, these, these federal cases that are against them are, are very heavy-duty uh, cases. Um, but, It'll be interesting if she gets out in front. Uh, you know, it does involve the sort of the Raffensperger, you know, find me 11,000 votes uh, conversation, which resonated. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think it's dangerous in the sense that she looks hell-bent on prosecuting and she's proceeding. Uh, but I wouldn't uh, call it the most dangerous case against Trump. Do you think that there'll be any charges related to the Capitol riots? There were some civil lawsuits. Well, that's the big insurrection case. You know, that Garland is, uh, uh, you know, proceeding, has a grand jury. Uh, we see people like uh, Mark Short and others walking in and out of the courthouse recently who had uh, a front row seat uh, in the White House uh, to what was going on, uh, many of them. And, uh, you know, we saw what played out in front of the January 6th hearings, the theater of that. Uh, but those same people, many of them, are testifying before a federal grand jury in the courthouse. You know, and that's not being played out on TV, uh, except for a glimpse of somebody who looks like they'd be an interesting witness walking out of the courthouse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that case is a very serious case. That may be the most dangerous case. and uh, And that's the one that seems to be quietly proceeding. Uh, through a grand jury process, and grand juries are eventually put to a vote. And there's 23 of them in the room, and if they vote uh, to prosecute, there's going to be an indictment. Can 
you know, I, I mentioned this as far as the, the documents, but what kind of evidence, like, does it have to be rock solid? Does it have to be three ways from Sunday to bring a case against a, not only a former president, but a former president who, you know, so many people in this country are rabid about protecting and believing? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's going to be a political fallout from any of these uh, cases. There's no two ways about it. I hope it's not truly terrible. Uh, and um, assuming the case is brought, uh, but connecting Trump to the insurrection, you know, what we saw on TV, people breaking windows, breaking into the uh, Capitol building, uh, fallen policemen uh, and others seriously injured, um, has to be connected to Trump's actions uh, and that there was an intent uh, on his part. And that's where documentary evidence and testimony of others is going to come into play. Now, almost every person, and there have been about 800 prosecutions of people breaking into the Capitol, uh, almost every single one of them to a T said they were there because of Donald Trump. You know, that I, that I, I felt, you know, that that's why I was there. And they're kind of blaming him, if you will, for his for their crime. Uh, but that's not enough. They're going to have to connect it to see if Trump's that was Trump's intent. And uh, it would have been really interesting <laughs> if the Supreme Court, I mean, the if the uh, Secret Service allowed Trump to actually go to Capitol Hill, you know, according to, uh, you know, Hutchinson's testimony, Cassidy Hutchinson, you know, they had the struggle in the uh, Secret, the Secret Service in the limousine, and he wanted to go up there. I really wonder what would have happened if he had gone up there. There would have been even a clearer case of causation, uh, presumably. Uh, but that's what they're trying to knit together, that that intent and causation under the law uh, to have that ironclad prosecution against them on the insurrection. We'll keep our eye on all these cases. Thanks so much, Ken. That's Kenneth Gross of Aiken Gump. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.